You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. You guys want to go ahead and take your seats? I tell you what, y'all were gone for Christmas, but you're back for New Year's, man. (laughs) This is nuts. Yeah, go ahead and sit down. All right. Before we dive into this, real quick, I understand that uh, this is uh, the, the children's week that we have all the kids here with us. Parents, don't freak out. I can preach over your kids. Don't feel like you got to take them out just because they're being a little bit uh, noisy. They're children, and children are not a bother. Amen? Yeah, I know we don't do a lot of call and response here, but we're doing it right now, right? Children are not a bother. They're not a burden, right? We're grateful to have them. Right, so kids, I'm super stoked you guys are up here with us. What I want you all to do, I believe most of the children are over here. Yes, pay attention as best you can, right? Don't just zone out. Don't just collar. Try to listen and talk to your parents about what you learn later or if there's something you didn't understand. and Make sure they were paying attention too, right? So I'm glad you guys are up here. But uh, with that said, go ahead and open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 4 through 7. That's Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 7. There's pew Bibles back there. I see we have some visitors. Uh, They're in the backs of the pews, or it'll be up here on the projector. If you don't have a Bible at home that you can understand, that is our gift to you. Uh, But tonight, in light of the approaching new year, uh, we're going to be considering the duty that Christian parents have to teach their children the Word of God. And I say that in light of the new year because I think it would be good for all parents to make resolutions to better instruct our children in the faith. Because I don't think there's one parent among us that would say they are completely nailing that. That's what I thought. Right Now this topic has been a topic very heavy on my heart this past year. uh, Mainly because of the birth of my first child, Piper. Uh, And as you guys know, Piper is two months old now. So I think I'm qualified to speak as an expert on child rearing. That was a joke. I'm super, super new to this uh, and scared often, so please pray for me and my wife. Uh, But in all seriousness, I always like to preface topical sermons because I don't want anyone to think that I'm going at anybody in them because I've been to churches where that happens a lot. Um, I want to be clear that this sermon is not from a place of irritation or me being a nagging, scolding minister towards any of you. I love you all. I mean that sincerely. And I love your children. Right? And, and, and I want, kids, I want you to know the Lord Jesus. I pray for you often. I pray for you each by name regularly. Uh, and I pray that God would save you and teach you his word and sanctify you. Um, I, I pray that God would encourage you parents, all of you, you Christian parents, that, and that he would help you to instruct your children in his word. That's a constant prayer in my life for you. I pray that he would aid you in preaching the gospel to your children and that he would lay heavy on your heart the duty that you have to do these things. So this sermon really is meant to be an encouragement and a reminder to some of you who are diligently, currently, intentionally teaching your children the things of God. I want to encourage you to keep doing that. It's also meant to be a loving rebuke to some of you who know that you should be instructing your children in the faith but you have willfully neglected your children in their Christian instruction. And it's also meant to teach some of you, maybe for the first time, what your responsibilities are towards your children. Because I I recognize that not all of us maybe know 
what our duties are towards children. For those of you who do not have children yet, store this in your mind. This is for everybody. You will need to know this at the, in the future if the Lord blesses you with children, and I pray that he does. But in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verse 40, the Lord Jesus says this. He says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. When you're fully trained, you'll be like the one who taught you. Now, that's a general truth. I recognize Jesus spoke that in a certain context, but this is generally true. We will become like whoever or whatever is teaching us. We will become like whoever is discipling us. And this is true both for us, adults, and for our children. And this is a really good thing if our children are being discipled by parents according to the word of God. But here's my question for you. Who is discipling your kids? Who is discipling your children? Who's teaching them? Are you? Are you teaching them the faith? I hope you are. Because I promise you that the world is discipling your children. Every single day. Your kids are being discipled by television, movies, social media, if they have it. And that's up to you to decide when that happens. They're being discipled by music, the books they read. The advertisements they see, their teachers, their peers, and the list could go on. Are you doing anything to fight back against that? And I ask that because most of what they are being taught is completely contrary to God's values, God's commandments, God's character, and God's truth. Are you discipling your children according to the scriptures? And I ask this because to be frank with you, and I don't mean to be mean for any of this sermon, I really don't. I just want to be honest. I ask this because two hours a week on Sunday is not going to cut it if we want to raise our children in the hope that they become Christians and walk in the truth. This is not enough. This is great, but it's not enough. The responsibility of teaching our children to know, love, trust in, obey, and worship God is our responsibility as parents. And we have to take that very seriously. So to that end, we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy 6. And this text is going to teach us Not only that we should teach our children, but we're going to see why we should teach them, what we should teach them, and when we should teach them. And this whole text starts with some concepts that may seem like a strange place to begin. It starts with the truth that there is only one God. He is our God, and we are to love him. That's where it starts. So let's go ahead and read our text for this evening. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. Hear, O Israel... The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Holy God, we come before you now and ask that you would bless us and teach us according to your word. Speak to us and grant us repentance where we need it. Open our eyes this evening that we would see what matters. Open our eyes that we would see ourselves rightly, that we would see you rightly. Please encourage us, God, and help us to walk in loving obedience to you. You are supremely worthy of all our love and all of our devotion. Help us to see that. And to live accordingly, especially with how we raise our children. We ask for this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Now, our text begins in verse 4. And it's the root of 
everything that follows, from what I can tell, verses 4 through 6 set the stage for verse 7. Right? So let's go ahead and dig in. I don't want to drop you in on just the command. I want you to see the reasoning behind the commandment. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, or Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. That's the, that's the Lord's name. Now this one verse is the most simple yet profound and foundational statement of our entire religion. And it's this, there is one God and only one God. Yahweh is his name and he alone is the one with whom we have to do. He is the one that we have to deal with, ultimately. He is the one that we answer to, finally. There is no one else. He is our first priority. Again, because he alone is God. There are no other gods. Anything that we might think of that in our minds would rival his importance and pride of place in our lives is nothing but a dumb, worthless idol. There are so many things that we could say in countless sermons that have been preached on this one verse that I actually had to cut out about three pages of this sermon. You're welcome. right? But, but let, it, let it be sufficient for now that we recognize the most basic teaching of this verse before we go on. And we're going to come back to it as well. He is the only God. That is the big meaning of this verse. He is the only God. He's high above us. He rules over us. We have to get that straight first. Because if we really know that and understand the significance of that statement, then all the rest is going to fall in line and we're going to gladly submit ourselves to him in all things, including how we raise our children. Because he alone is God. But flowing from this fact that there is only one God, we read the great commandment. Verse 5. You shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. In this verse, God is commanding us to love him with everything that we have. Right? And to love God means to give him first place. Most of you know this stuff. And it's a conscious act. There's emotion with it for sure when we love God. But primarily it means to be loyal to him. It's to be loyal to him, much like a marriage. To be loyal to him. It's to prize him above everything else, right? And that's what we do whenever we love, isn't it? We set our affections on someone and we cherish them. We prize them and we value them and we choose to do this. Emotion may spring from our love and it should, but it is not exclusively emotional. It's a choice to be loyal to this one that you value supremely. And this commandment, and verse 5 encompasses the entirety of our being to love God. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Now that's a figure of speech, a Hebrew figure of speech for the seat of the will and the seat of the emotions, your heart. Right? It's to choose God and bow your will to him. To submit to him in your thinking and all of your will. To love the Lord your God with all of your soul. This one was kind of fun to learn about. It's your breath. To love him with the essence of of who you are, all of who you are. Every facet of your personality is in submission to Yahweh. To love him with all of your might means to love him with all of your strength, right? All of your external actions, all of the things that you do, and all of your endeavors are submitted to God in an expression of supreme loyalty to him because you value him above all. Again, this commandment is telling us to love God with everything that we have and everything that we are. It is to give ourselves, to use marriage language, wholly unto him. It's exclusive to him alone. 
There's, to, there's not to be a decision made or an action taken with us without us first asking, what does the Lord say? How does this reflect upon him? Does this please him? Does this reflect upon his character? Is this in accord with what he demands of me as Yahweh my God? He is to have our hearts, all of who we are, our undivided attention, our complete unyielding allegiance and loyalty and undivided devotion at all times. But why? All right, why? Why should we render this kind of love and devotion to God? I don't ask that in unbelief. I ask that because I believe the Bible gives us justification for the commandments of God. Right? So why are we obligated to obey God? Why should I? Right? I know kids, you like to ask your parents that. Why should I? Right? So why should we love God with everything that we have? Well, first, listen to this again in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He is God. We're going to be real simple. We're going to look at verse 4 three different times. He is God. This is always the first of many reasons and motivations that we have to obey anything that he commands. He is God. And if he is God, what does that make you? I can tell you very simply that it makes you not God. Right? You see, in the final analysis, there are really only two categories of being. There is God and there is not God. And hear me, those two categories are not on the same level with one another. They're not. God is high above and enthroned above everything that is not God. He is, as our catechism teaches us, the first and chiefest of beings. He is the high and holy one who has no equal. No one can even begin to approach him. In other words, you could look at it this way. We are creatures made by this creator. There is God and there is not God. We are beneath him. As Isaiah says, the nations are as dust on a scale compared to him. We are of his making and we exist by his pleasure alone. And since we are in worth and in every other way beneath him, that makes him our superior. And as our superior, you may not like to hear this because we're autonomous Americans, as our superior, he is able to command whatever he wants from us. Whatever he is pleased to do. And we are morally obligated to do whatsoever he is pleased to command of us. He is God. And we are not. We are subject to him. He is not subject to us. So if for no other reasons we are obligated to obey his command, to put him first in all things, including in our, raising our children, and love him with our whole being simply because he is God. Second, we look again at verse 4 for another reason why we should love him with everything that we have and submit ourselves wholly to him. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, that God is one not only denotes that he alone is God, for sure it teaches us that, but it shows us also that he is completely unique. There is only one of him. He is completely distinct from his creation. He is unlike us. He is holy. You can think about it this way. We are sinful and wicked and do awful things. We are imperfect creatures, and there are many of us. We're selfish, self-centered, miserable sinners. There's nothing lovable in us. Right? And in fact, in order for one human being to love another human being, we have to actually look past each other's sins and faults and flaws and love them anyway in spite of those things, right? Married people, yes, that's what we do. You love them in spite of those things, but not so with God. God is unique. He is one. He is actually worthy of our love. 
because he's actually lovable. He is holy, right? There are no imperfections in him. He is light. He is love. He is perfection itself. He is the great standard. His majesty knows no end. He is actually good and worthy of our love. There's nothing selfish about him at all. In fact, all that we have and all that we are flow from him, right? He's pure, perfect, and good. All that is to say, it makes good sense for us to love him. It's actually fitting for us to love him because he is supremely worthy of all of our affection, devotion, and obedience. He is actually worthy of the things he commands us to give to him, which is our whole being. And I keep tacking this on at the end, including how we raise our children. He's worthy of everything that we have. Third, we read verse 4 one last time for our final reason And there are more than this. This is not exhaustive for why we should obey God. The Lord, our God. The Lord is one. Our God. We're to love him with everything we have and submit to him in every regard in our whole life because he is our God. We belong to him and are in covenant relationship to him completely by his loving grace. And we remain in covenant with him because of his faithfulness and because of his love. Consider for me one second, consider the context that Moses gave this command on behalf of God. This is Deuteronomy, this is the second giving of the law, right? God has just saved Israel from slavery to Egypt, right? And now he's about to bestow the huge blessing of the promised land and victory over the enemies of Israel. God has been incredibly faithful to Israel since he took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, He is their redeemer and their rescuer from slavery. That's the context that this command comes in. You love the Lord your God with everything you have. Here is Old Testament Israel's motivation. It's this. Look what God has done for us. He is our God. His covenant love and faithfulness blow our minds. We must love him. We must be faithful to him and give him everything that we are because look what he's done. He's rescued us. Look at how kind he's been. How much more so for us? the true Israel of God, the church. Has not God done even greater things for us? Of course he has. He has set us free from our bondage and slavery to sin and Satan. He's he's set us free from eternal death and the wrath of God. And he's done so not by destroying a nation that once held us captive, but he's done this by giving his only begotten son in our place to redeem us from our sins, to buy us back from our slavery to sin. God gave his son, the Lord Jesus, in order to save us from our sins. We were bought from our slavery and our wickedness, not with gold and silver, but with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've received not just earthly freedom from those who hate us, but we have received eternal life and the forgiveness of sins through faith in Christ. Through Jesus, the triune God, has, like Israel, become our redeemer and rescuer. We have been saved by the Lord Jesus. By his life, death, and resurrection, we have been made free through faith in him so that we can live to God by faith. So now our motivation, just like the motivation of Old Testament Israel, is to be the same. Look what God has done for us. Our God, Yahweh, our God, our redeemer, our rescuer. How could I not love him? How could I not give everything that I am to him? How could I not submit to him in everything because of the kindness he's done? 
God has done more for us than he ever did for the earthly nation of Israel. Write that down. He's done more for us than he ever did for them. How much more willing then should we be to place him first? To submit to him in all things. But then what does this total devotion to God look like? Right? We've, we've seen that it's reasonable and it's moral and it's fitting for us to love him with everything that we are. But what does that love look like practically? Right? You don't get to determine that. You don't get to determine how you're going to love God. He tells us how. In verse 6, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. This is how you love God. Moses tells the Israelites that all of the things he tells them in this book, which is actually a speech or a sermon, all these things that he commands them that day are to be on their hearts. And what does he teach them? Well, in summary, if you read the whole book of Deuteronomy, you could say Moses teaches them the word of God. He teaches them who God is. He reminds them of what God has done. He promises them on behalf of God what God will do in the future. And he tells them what God um, requires of them as his people. Again, you could say that he teaches them the word of God throughout this whole book. And Moses says they are to have all of these things written on their hearts. All of these truths and to have these things on their hearts means to love, know, and walk in obedience to God. It's to walk in line and in step with what God has revealed in his word. And that's what we're to do as well. Total devotion to God looks like keeping his word on our hearts. We are to be controlled by God's word in every aspect of our life. And that is to be true. Why? Verse 5. Because we love him. Right? He is the only God. Verse 4. He is worthy, and he is our God, and he's blessed us immeasurably. So this is not meant to be a mere external or legalistic obedience, right? Rather, this is obedience motivated by love for him, love for who he is in and of himself as God, and love for what he has done for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. But you can say very simply that total devotion to God is to walk in his word, to have his commandments on your heart, it is to be governed by him in every way. We express our love to God and that we obey him. And that when we disobey him, we are quick to repent and seek forgiveness from him that we know is ours because of the work of the Lord Jesus. And then resume walking in obedience. As Jesus himself said in the Gospel of John, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, notice that in verse 6, this, all, this is going to be very important. In verse 6, this is a personal and inward devotion to God. Is it not? You have them on your heart, right? Because of our love for God, we are to obey him in our personal lives, in our private individual lives. I like to call this a vertical relationship to God, right? First table of the law stuff, first four commandments. Love God. And I call it vertical because it's oriented up toward him. So love for God results in our being vertically minded toward God to obey him, to have his word always on our hearts, to study it and to walk in it. And this is to be true of every single individual believer. We each walk in personal obedience to God. But then Moses tells us how love and devotion for God is to affect our external relationships. In verse 7, you shall teach them these commandments. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You'll teach them diligently to your children. The first thing 
Hear me. We're going to slow down for a second. The first thing that Moses says about our horizontal relationships with people, after telling us in verse 6, vertically, you walk in God's commands because you love him. The first horizontal relationship that he mentions that our love for God is to affect is with our children. You diligently teach God's word to your children. That's your first horizontal relationship, expression of your love for God. The, the word of God being on our heart, verse 6, because we love him, verse 5, and are devoted to him, verse 4, of necessity must result in teaching our children. That's how this goes. And how does that work? Well, I think of many reasons. We talk about what we love. You do. You talk about the things that you love. Because you desire others to love what you love, don't you? Right? We want to declare the excellencies of that which we love. Right? And you guys do this all the time. right? I do this all the time. When you really like a movie or you really like a book or you really like a song, you tell people, you've got to watch it. You've got to hear it. You've got to read it. I'll buy you a copy. You know, and as a matter of fact, come watch it with me. You have to see this. You have to hear this with me. It's the best thing ever. Won't you participate in it with me? That's what we do when we love something. That's because love finds its fullest expression in our sharing what we love with others because we desire to declare its greatness and worth. That's what we do when we love something. So our love for God and our delighting in Him will first and foremost impact our relationship with our children. Verse 7 tells us who is to teach them. Let me go on back a little bit. Maybe I should have put this somewhere else in this point. But verse 7 tells us who is to teach them. It is to be the parents. Right? That's who's being addressed here. Please, please hear me because we get this so backward in the American church, probably the Western church in general. Moses says, on behalf of God, you shall teach them to your children. The Israelites are being told to personally instruct their kids in the faith. They are to teach their children themselves. Charles Spurgeon was kind of a smart aleck on this and a paraphrase. He said, the text does not say, send them to the priest and have the priest teach them. It says, you shall teach your children. It's the parents' job to teach their kids about God and his law and his blessed gospel. Now, I just want to be clear real quick. The, the church exists in part to equip Christians for ministry. Right? Pastors exist in part to guide and be helps to you as you follow after Christ. Right? So just real quick, me and Stephen... And your fellow church members are here to help you in this task as you raise your children in the faith. But the work and ministry of discipling and teaching your own children ultimately rests upon you, the parent. Hear me, pastors will not stand in judgment for whether or not you taught your children. We'll stand in judgment for whether or not we taught you to teach your children. Furthermore, again, as I said earlier, maybe not furthermore, but as I said earlier, the two hours a week that we get them, while we do our best to teach them sound biblical doctrine, that is not enough to fulfill what this verse tells you. It's not enough. Don't outsource your responsibility to pastors and volunteers in the church. 
So we are to teach our children. And verse 7 tells us this phrase, teach diligently. That leapt off the page to me whenever I learned what that actually means. It means repeat. Repeat these things. It can also mean to impress them or engrave them on something. Right? So God is legitimately calling his people who are blessed with children to, as much as a human being can, drive his word into them, engrave it upon them as much as a human can. You can't convert your children. You can't write your law upon their hearts like the Lord says that he does. But you are to drive his word into them, engrave it upon them by repetition. God is con- calling us to constantly have his word on our hearts and in our mouths. We are to diligently teach our children. Now, the connection between verses 6 and 7 is that our love for God, as I said earlier, is to spill over into our relationship with our children. We are to teach them because we love God. We are to model for them what a believer looks like and teach them that way as well because we love God. God's truth is to be constantly upon our lips toward our children because his truth is constantly upon our hearts because we love him. So in light of this connection, let me say something that might hurt you. And I love you enough to offend you. I must say this because it it may be revealing if it is indeed applicable to you. In light of this connection between verses 6 and 7, if you are one who neglects teaching your children the faith, who neglects family worship, who neglects teaching them the word of God, Maybe it's because you are not as personally devoted to the Lord as you want to think that you are. Show me a man who in every way looks godly and yet neglects to teach his children the word of God and I'll show you a hypocrite. Maybe you're not eager to teach your children because your personal love for the Lord has grown cold. Maybe you have idols in your life and have placed something above God like entertainment. You don't want to get off your phone. Or ease. You don't want the fight because you've not been quick to discipline your children in the past. Or, or you have this idol of pursuit of status or money so you bury yourself in your job and that's why you're not quick to make the time to make the time because it won't just appear in your schedule but to make the time to teach your children. But what are we to teach them? Verse 6 tells us what we are to teach them. We are to teach them the word of God. He says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Verse 7, you are to teach them. What is them? Them is verse 6, the commandments that are to be on your heart. And I want to be, so you're to teach them the word of God. And I'm going to be really simple with this, right? I don't want to overwhelm anybody. You are to teach your children the essentials of the faith, Right? No offense to Dr. Merriweather back there. You don't have to have a PhD to do this. Right? You don't have to have a doctorate to do this. He's nodding his head and says, yes, you do. <laughs> you, don't have to, you don't have to have, you don't have to be, have some PhD in theology to do this. Right? Teach your children the essentials of the faith. Let me give you some examples. I want to encourage you, Christian parents. These are things you already know on some level. Maybe not as deeply as they can possibly go. Same. Right, But you can teach these things because you already know them. Some examples. The doctrine of the Trinity. You can teach your kids that there is one God who eternally exists in three persons. The persons are completely co-equal in every way, but they have different jobs and have different relationships to one another, but yet they are one God. 
you can articulate that to your kids. The two natures of Christ. You can teach them that. That Jesus is truly God and never ever stopped being God. And he's also truly man. He's truly God because only God can save us. And he's truly man so that he can represent us as human beings to save us. Teach your children the inerrancy of scripture. Very simply, the Bible is never wrong. And if you find something in the Bible that you don't like, you're wrong. And you need to repent. Which brings us to another thing you can teach them. Repentance means to turn from your sins and turn toward Christ in faith and believe that he saves you and then begin to walk in obedience to God again. Teach them of the virgin birth of Christ, that Jesus was placed in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit, so he had no sin nature like we do. Teach them total depravity, that you're born a sinner, that sin isn't just something you do, but you are a sinner, and that's why you need to be made new by God completely. Teach them the doctrine of hell. That God punishes for eternity those who do not trust in Jesus and repent of their sins. Teach them the gospel. That the Son of God became a man and lived perfectly, obeyed in our place and suffered God's wrath in our place, was raised from the dead, and through faith alone in Him alone we are saved. Teach them the law of God, the Ten Commandments that Stephen reads to you each Lord's Day. Teach them how to pray. Use the Lord's Prayer as your template. That's how Jesus taught you to pray. You can teach that to your kids. Teach them holiness. That those who love God obey Him. You can do these things. Teach them the essentials of the faith. Christian, they are things that you already know. They're things you already know. You may not know them as deeply or as intricately as someone else, but you do know them to some degree. Teach them what you know. Take the time to sit down with them a little each day and teach them. And the simplest way to do this is to sit down with them and just read the Bible to them. And then discuss it with them. I'm talking 10 to 15 minutes. A short passage of scripture. If you have small children, probably one of the gospels or a narrative. I don't recommend reading an epistle like Romans to your four-year-old. Right? They're probably not going to catch that. Not that it's impossible. I'm not saying not to read any portion of the word of God to your children. I'm not saying that. But narratives. Kids latch on to narratives. Read them the gospels. And then briefly discuss what you read. And then pray with them. This is how you're going to teach them. And hear me, I want to encourage you with this. Teach them what you know. Hear me, I'm not telling you to teach them what you think about God. That would be stupid and probably wrong because we're sinners and what we think is awful most of the time. Don't teach them what you think about God, but what I mean is teach them what you know. Teach them what you understand for sure that the Bible is teaching. If you read a passage, teach them what you understand from that passage. Make sure what you're saying is true and accurate and from the Bible, and then as best you can, teach it to your children. I'm not asking you to teach them what you don't understand. That would be foolish and dangerous. Don't try to go deeper than you can go. I don't do that up here. That's why I'll tell you from time to time, this is as far as I can go with this one, guys. I'm still a student myself. Don't try to teach them something that you don't understand yet, but rather teach those things found in the Bible that you already understand well yourself. You can do this, Christian. You can. I know you can. Because if you've been a Christian for any length of time at all, you know the essentials. You know the law. You know the gospel. You know something of the character of God. Teach your children. Take responsibility for their spiritual well-being and teach them whatever it is that you can. And make sure that the Bible has the highest place in your home as you all get around it regularly to hear from the Lord as a family. And do these things diligently. Repeat. Repeat. They're not going to get it the first 50 times because you don't. 
right? Repeat them. Drive them into your children. Make them stick as best you can. Be diligent. And when should you teach? Verse 7. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. When do you teach them? You teach them when you're at leisure, sitting in your house, casually, just hanging out. You teach them when you're on the way, right? You walk by the way. When you're traveling, like in your car, you teach them when you rise. That's in your morning routines. When you lie down, that's your evening routines. This gives us a picture of every part of our lives together with our children being opportunities and proper times for us to teach them about God. In your home, outside of your home, in the morning, in the evening. That is always at every place in every time. It's a good time to teach your kid about God. Right? We're to take every chance that we can to engrave these things upon our children. We're to take not only intentional times each day to formally gather around the word, as you should, but also to take little everyday opportunities to teach them. Let me give you some examples of that. Uh, in the car, you, you notice a, a beautiful sunset, and you point it out to your child, and you use that as a moment to remind your kid that God is the creator of all things. Lesson over. You don't have to have a profound theological conversation with your kid, but if it goes there, praise God. Right? That's just one example. Uh, just yesterday at my grandparents' house, I'm not going to get too deep into this one, uh, but my niece was watching my wife nurse our daughter. And I took that as an opportunity to talk to my niece about how and why God made women and men different. I asked her, I said, can I do what Aunt Autumn's doing right now? She goes, no, you're a boy. I said, well, what if I dressed up like Aunt Autumn? That wouldn't matter. You're still a boy. <laughs> She's sharp, Natalie. Good eye. And she said, even if a boy dresses up like a girl, he's still a boy. It doesn't change anything. Male and female, he created them. That's what we talked about for just a brief moment, and then she wanted to talk about something else that had nothing to do <laughs> with what we were talking about. But we took that moment to teach them, right? When someone dies, talk to your children about the reality of death and how Christ conquered it so that through faith in him we can live forever with God. When it rains and your kid's upset about why they can't go out and play, teach them about the sovereignty of God and his providence and that God determines how our days will go and we must trust him that he's doing what's right. When they're disobedient, and I know there are because I, I hang out with you and them. When they're disobedient and are about to be disciplined, use that as an opportunity to talk to them about the forgiveness of sins that they so desperately need in Christ. And remind them that you need it as well. You see the point that I'm making. All times are an appropriate and good time for us to teach our children the things of God. And if we are singularly devoted to God, these things will be on our lips. Because our hearts will yearn to drive these truths into our children because we love God. And out of love for God, we want to see them be little disciples who will grow up to believe and trust in Him as well as have we. If we love Him, we do these things. Now, I know I've been up here for 40 minutes, but you'll be all right. You, now, I want to address some potential objections so you guys might find this interesting because I'm going to get a little bit smart aleck some potential objections that, that I'm sure some of you have on your minds. You, you see, this is a tall order, right? It's a scary thing to know that you are responsible to make time and intentionally teach your children. So what do we do? We want to make up excuses for why we should not obey God. Because we know it's not going to be easy. So here are some objections for you. The first one that I've heard is kids can't comprehend this stuff. 
The Bible is too hard for children to understand. Listen to me. Verse 7 implies that your children can indeed learn and understand the essentials of the faith. God says that you are to teach them. Why? Because they can learn them. Or it would be an illogical thing for God to command you to do. It would make no sense. And God is the God of logic. We can talk about presuppositional apologetics later. God is the God of logic. Everything flows from him. God says that you are to teach them particularly because they can indeed learn them. So rule number one when it comes to raising your children in the faith. Know that your kids aren't stupid. They're not. They're smarter than you think. Right, kids? You're not dumb. Right? Some of you are just now tuning in because, oh, am I dumb? Am I not dumb? You're not dumb, and you know that you're not dumb. Right? Furthermore, parents, you send your kids to school, don't you? You send them to school, and in school they're expected to learn a lot. Reading, geography, history, science, common core math. Uh, I, I personally remember learning and memorizing all the states and their capitals when I was nine. And I had the t-shirt to prove it. Yeah, that was the big prize for all of that, my gosh. But kids, that is to say, kids can learn and retain a lot. And you want to think that your kid can't memorize catechism questions? They're going to memorize their multiplication tables. Give me a break. But if they don't learn those things and they don't pay attention in school, they're in trouble when they get home, aren't they? And why are they in trouble when they get home? Because you know that they're not stupid. And you know that they can learn. And the essentials that we must know in order to be saved and live a life that pleases our God are so clear in one place of Scripture or another that even a child can understand them. So first off, don't sell your kids short on their intellectual abilities. They're not stupid. They can learn. Second, I hear this sometimes. My kids will hate this, and I don't want to drive them away from God by forcing them to learn. Of course they're going to hate it. I'm just being real. Of course. That's why as their parent, who has been given God-given authority over them, you must make this happen in your home. Of course they're not going to like this initially. What kid wants to sit down and learn when they can be playing instead? Have you ever been a child? <laughs> of course. They don't want to learn at school either. Almost every child would rather play than sit down and learn. And if you have a kid that would rather learn than play, you should be singing the doxology every morning that you wake up. But our God commands this. It's right there in verse 7. You shall teach them to your children. It's not an option. It's a commandment. And furthermore, as far as the whole, I don't want to hurt my kids by forcing anything on them, do you think that God would command something that is going to be detrimental to your children? Do you have that low of a view of God? Do you trust him that little? Do you esteem him that little? Think about it. If the spirit works alongside the word, then how in the world will teaching your kids the word be bad for them and spiritually drive them from God if it is the word that God is pleased to use to convert sinners? That's foolish thinking. That's worldly thinking, that teaching your kids the faith is going to drive them from God. In fact, listen, the people that you hear saying, you know, my parents taught me Christianity and that drove me away from God. Those people are unconverted. Paul says they are haters of God. Are you going to believe them over the Lord for what's good for your kids? Get out of here. Not only that, but God is often pleased to use the efforts of parents in order to convert their children. 
Not a hundred percent of the time, right? We're not promised that just because we're Christians that our kids are going to be born Christian and saved as well, right? No one is born a Christian. But God is often pleased to use our efforts to bring our children to Christ. Quick question. Raise your hand, please, if you had Christian parents and were raised in the faith. Here's my point. God will bless this. The kids probably won't like it at first, but you do this anyway, and you honor the God that you profess to love. Verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with everything you have. The third thing that I hear, and I sympathize with this, I, I really do. I hear people say, I am not smart enough to do this. I'm not smart enough to do this. Right? Teach what you know. Like I said earlier, teach them what you know. You know the essentials. I'm not telling them that you have to teach them all the high theological language, right, or anything like that. We'll do some of that here at church, right? But teach them on their level. Teach them what you know for certain is proclaimed in the word of God. And know this, Christian parent, God is going to use this to sanctify you personally. You're going to find out what you don't know whenever you have to answer your kids' questions. You're going to find out what you don't know whenever you read a text of scripture and say, I have no idea what this is about. You're going to become aware of what you don't know, and you're going to be pushed yourself to study the word of God and seek to be discipled more by someone else who knows more than you. And please know this as well, those of you who say, I'm not smart enough to do this. God will help you. Seek his help in prayer. James says he is pleased to give wisdom to those who seek it from him and aren't double-minded. He will answer you. He is pleased to help you. God has not commanded his people to do something that he will not also help us to do. It won't be perfect. You'll be frustrated. You're going to have to whip your kids, right, whenever you do this stuff, right? There's going to be fights. There's going to be discipline handed out. I had a buddy. He was saying every time we sit down for family worship, Five minutes in, one kid's yelled at, two kids are whipped, and the fourth one's crying, right? Like, he's got four kids, God bless him, right? It's, it's not going to be easy, but you can do this. You can sincerely obey this commandment of God and please him in doing so. You can. So lastly, for application, in order to put, in what, in, put into practice what you have learned tonight, first thing, you must do family worship. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on application and I, when I say family worship for the visitors here, I don't mean worship your family. That's idolatry and Yahweh our God. Yahweh is one, right? Like there's one God. I'm not telling you to worship your family. I mean that you need to begin to worship God with your family in your home. You need to set aside time each day, even a short time. I'm talking 10 to 15 minutes. And read the word with your family, discuss it briefly, and pray. You don't have to be a scholar to do this. You just need a Bible. Right? Get your family around the word of God. And furthermore, shameless plug, other good books that teach your kids our religion, right? And put the work in, right? Use the books that the church has given you if you're a member here. The Family Worship Bible Guide is worth its weight in gold. I use it every day. It's great. The Catechism for Boys and Girls. Here's a sample question. Who made you? God made me. Your kids can memorize stuff like that. The Catechism for Boys and Girls, the 1689 Confession, if your kids are older, work through that with them. The Baptist Catechism, work through that. Use those things. Drill those things into your children. Brothers and sisters, most often it's, it's really not that this is too hard to understand or that it's impossible to do. It really comes down to the fact that we don't want to do these things because they know that they're going, we know that they're going to cost us something. I'm convinced of that. 
Maybe you don't want to do these things. Maybe you've not been doing these things because you don't want to fight with your children because you have been lacking in discipline. And you don't want to fight with them or discipline them to, sit, to get them to sit down for 10 or 15 minutes to do these things. Maybe that's why. Maybe it's because you don't want to get off your phone or get off the couch or quit watching Netflix long enough to do this. Maybe it's because you have allowed your schedule and your children's schedule to get so packed with other things that you have not left any time for God in your lives. Whatever the reason is, there is no good reason to neglect this commandment. Really, to neglect your children, but more importantly, to neglect the Word of God. As I said in the beginning of this sermon, two hours a week here at church is not going to be enough. This needs to be a daily part of your home, part of the rhythm of your house, to get around the Word of God, the Word of the Lord who has been so kind to you. Hear me, you cannot claim to love God and be in submission to Him and also neglect such a weighty thing as teaching your children who He is. So my last piece of application is for those of us here who have not been teaching our children as we ought to. Here's my last piece for you. Repent. I'm serious. Repent. Get on your knees before God and admit that you've neglected your duties as a Christian parent. Please listen to me. This is not a mistake. This is not a slip up. Don't minimize this. And think that you're being cute by shrugging it off and saying, well, I'm not the best parent. You've sinned. You've sinned. God says, you shall, and you've said, I will not. Admit it to the Lord. Confess it to Him and turn from it. And be encouraged by this. There is always forgiveness with our God to those who come to Him in faith and repentance. So turn your eyes to Christ who paid for the sin of you neglecting your children. Turn to him who made atonement for you, who is your righteousness before God and who is your perfect example and teacher. And having turned to him, continue to walk in obedience to him, teaching your children to know and love God, this same God who has been so merciful and loved you so dearly. Teach them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, the, for this time that we could be together to hear from your word. God, teach us. Grant us repentance and please break our hearts open. For those here who, who have children, God, help us. For those who are timid, I pray that you would embolden them by your Holy Spirit. To those who are just willfully neglectful, <coughs> I pray that you would convict them and bring them to their knees that they might see the seriousness of their sin. And God, for all of us, I pray that you would help us to look to Christ who gives us the example of what a perfect teacher is, patient, quick to teach those who want to learn, the one who's patient with us and who teaches us, who is our righteousness. God, help us to look to him for the forgiveness of all of our sins. And having looked to him, God, help us to walk in obedience once more or for the first time. Sanctify your people, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.